to the U.S. Fire Journal Podcast. We offer views and opinions on the fire service around the world with no topic too tough to handle. Visit us at usfirejournal.com for all your fire service information. Now, here's your host, Jay. Good afternoon. Welcome into the podcast. I am Jay, and uh, today is February the 10th. It's 2023. If you notice that my voice is a little bit different, it's because I have been sick now for, oh, I don't know, 11 days or so with, uh, with this stupid uh, whatever's going around. Let's put it that way. I don't want to name something, but whatever's going around. And it's been off and on. Um, so there's my voice. There's the explanation for that. I'm going to talk about ISO fraud today. A uh, story came out, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, and then we'll talk in general. Norman, Oklahoma. The Norman Fire Department protects maybe 125,000 or so people. Uh, I believe they run out of uh, nine or ten stations out there. A uh, good, good mid-sized department. Um, and uh, the allegations out of there are, are troubling. Uh, you know, that, that they committed... Uh, the allegations are that they committed fraud in order, I guess, to obtain a, a better ISO rating. And as everyone listening to this knows, ISO is uh, uh, what insurance companies use to determine your fire risk rating uh, in your community. And uh, I know people at ISO. Um, I have, uh, you know, watched them over the years, and, and uh, they do what they do. Um, they send people out, they obtain information, and they publish a rating. I will say this, uh, it is not indicative, a, a, a one or a two or a three or whatever is not indicative of how well your fire department fights fires, it's just not. But it is an important metric because insurance rates are based on it. Uh, again, it is alleged that the Norman Fire Department uh, falsified documents, etc., to obtain a better rating. And, and so that's the impetus for the discussion. Now I'm going to move away from the Norman Fire Department and just talk about uh, some things that I know in the past and other departments and um, just sort of uh, touch on, you know, why this is important and why departments who try to trick ISO um, could find themselves in deep trouble. The, the state attorney general of Oklahoma is now looking into the matter. I guess it's been referred uh, to the state attorney general. Look, here's the bottom line. It is easy to get caught up in we need a higher ISO rating because it'll make us look good. When you go to falsifying official documents, it, it's fraud. And when you are obtaining, trying to obtain a higher ISO rating, uh, or, or anything along those lines, and you use false information or otherwise falsely claim uh, things that just simply aren't true, it's very easy to follow up on. And here's the thing, and, and again, this is what I've seen in the past. Um, I, I witnessed a department uh, moving a ladder truck around trying to, to trick ISO, trying to trick an ISO uh, evaluator into to giving them credit for for another aerial device, uh, I have discussed with with people and had stories brought to me that that are mind-boggling about moving equipment around, 
uh, racing uh, the evaluator to different stations. All of this is, of course, asinine. It, it is. It's simply stupid. And the people engaging in it are, uh, are not very bright. They just aren't. You know, people say, well, everything's fine until you get caught. But, but understand this. You, in choosing to do these types of things, you have uh, already exposed yourself as a person and or persons or department who cannot be trusted. Just simply can't. And you're facing off against insurance companies and, and people who have to pay higher rates when this is found out because now when it gets found out, obviously your insurance goes up. It's not worth it. It just isn't. It's also indicative of really poor leadership and no character whatsoever in the leadership. And again, nobody's asking for, for, for saints. Nobody's asking for that. We don't have any saints as, as, uh, as fire department leaders. But what we are saying, I think, is this. Um, where do you stop? you say, well, we're just going to cheat on our ISO rating, but we won't cheat on anything else. Well, what happens when there's a check laying around? Uh, you know, these things, and, and understand this, these things uh, cannot be explained away in any, uh, in any way, shape, or form. They just can't. And, and know this, people find out. Might take a year, might take two years, but people find out. And you can always hear, and you know, I can see this in smaller towns where everybody says, no, we'll never rat on each other. Right, 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 right. That's an interesting way to look at it. And, and it's also interesting in that that's the first thing that people do. They roll. They roll over on other people. And for what? Why would you destroy the reputation of a fire department and or the individuals comprising the fire department for the purpose of getting a rating that at the end of the day you would get anyway if you just followed their checklists? I don't know that anything is easier to attain from the prospect of understanding what you need to do than an ISO rating. They give you everything you need to do. It, they do. So then you go out and you do it. And if your city won't pay for it, then you don't get it. You know, if the city won't pay for upgrades or improvements and all this sort of stuff, then, then you just don't get it. And that's the way it goes. And, and you, you do better the following year. Or you don't. What you don't do is lie, cheat, commit fraud for something that nobody would ever want to do time for. Who wants to do time for claiming that, you know, yeah, our, our water supply is better than it is, or, or we have six stations and when we only have five? Um, that's just asinine. It, it really is. And uh, I got to tell you, it, it's, it is indefensible. You know, that's one of those where you're going to have to pony up and plead guilty quickly. Because there's no defense for it. Uh, 
Is it worth losing a career, a pension, everything else just for something that at the end of the day, if your city wants it, they have to spend the money to upgrade? This is where individuals try in their own minds to to do the, quote, right thing, end quote. Be careful who's asking you to do the right thing. You know, that's the one thing there, too. Because those people will bail on you in a heartbeat and probably already have. That's, that's where that comes from. Again, this general commentary that I just went through, it has nothing to do with the Norman Fire Department. I don't know what's going on there other than that report. But in general, I've seen this before and we'll see it again. And my guess is within six months or a year, there'll be another department uh, in the limelight for, for doing maybe not the same thing, but something similar. And again... ISO makes it easy. All you have to do is follow what they tell you. That's how easy it is. So why commit the fraud? Why put yourself and your family in that position of having to... It's just stupid. Today is Friday, so we're going into some questions, and I've received a lot of questions, and I've narrowed it down to six um, that I'm going to talk about today. This one person writes in and says, Hey, we're having a big debate here. What is a veteran firefighter in your mind? And, and so I'm like, oh, okay, I can answer that quickly. And then he says, what I mean is, how many years or fires does a veteran have to have in order to be a veteran firefighter? That's different. So I always believe that a veteran firefighter not only possesses time, but temperament. Um, it's important to be that, that standard, to, to be that veteran. And in order to do that, you have to have had some time on the job. I can tell you that when I first went on the job, uh, a captain, I was in a double company, and the captain from the, the other engine, um, he would say, until you've had 30 fires a year for five years, you're not a veteran. Um, I heard another guy I was at... Uh, I was at the Firehouse Expo, maybe 90, 91, somewhere around there. And I was talking with a, with a guy who, uh, who said, this is how you know you're a veteran. A veteran knows. I'm like, well, huh, that's interesting. I said, what do you mean? He said, he or she just knows. They know the job. They know what to do. They know what to do at a fire, a wreck, an EMS call, but they also know what to do around the station. They know what to do when, when challenged. Uh, if somebody asks them a question, they know the answer. And I rather liked that response. I really did. I, I liked it a lot. And so I would go when someone asked me, what's a veteran? A veteran is somebody that doesn't have to point out that they're a veteran. Um, a veteran is somebody that knows their job. They know, they know their job backwards and forward. Uh, not many things you're going to ask them that they're stumped on, but if they are stumped, they'll admit it. Um, they don't get caught out. They just don't. Um, I, I, you know, I think a veteran knows. And um, I think that's a positive thing. And I, I think what it says is if you've got a year and a half and you possess that, that knowledge and that insight that you're a veteran. If you've got 21 and a half years and you don't, well, you're not much help to anybody. 
So you may be a veteran by time, but certainly not by temperament or knowledge. What's a veteran? Well, a veteran knows the job, your job, and everything about it. And what they don't know, they're busy learning. And I don't think a veteran ever truly stops learning. Uh, doesn't mean it's their every waking hour when they're off duty. That, that's not what I'm talking about. But they never stop learning. They see something new. They acknowledge it. When they make a mistake, they go, I made a mistake. See, that to me, that's a veteran. I made a mistake. Moving on. Good. That's a veteran. Another question, and I think this one's fairly interesting, although it's not, it's not in the form of a question. Um, it's, you know, well, I'll read it. Uh, Dear Jay, is there any way you could address how your individual department, whoever you may be, wherever you may be, isn't the fire service? Yes. Um, and so here, I'll, I'll put it in the form of a question. Why do some people like to think that their department and the way they did it or do it or they did it at their last three departments, why do they think that that's how the fire service does it? Well, let me start by saying this. Uh, we're all informed uh, considerably by our own personal experiences. Um, oftentimes, a firefighter will join a fire department and... and, and that's the fire department they know. They don't know anything else outside of that department. They may begin to learn some regional things, you know. So maybe you're in, uh, maybe you're in upstate New York or, or wherever, and, and you begin to learn some things from, from the city. Um, or you learn some things from over in Jersey. Uh, maybe you're a firefighter in Alabama, and you know pretty much what fire departments around Alabama, uh, you know what, what, what they focus on. You know, I think it is important to know that no matter what tactic we're talking about, no matter what drill, no matter what evolution, not everyone does it that way. And, and then you'll get into the, well, they should. Uh, take should and park should somewhere else. Should's one of the absolute worst words in the English language. We set ourselves up with, yeah, I should have done that. I don't think should's a good word. Maybe I could have done that, but not should. Um, I dislike that word a great deal, uh, even though I use it. And I use it because I'm not thinking about what I'm saying at times, just like everybody else. But, look, here's the thing. Um, no matter where you go in the fire service, there are little things that your department does or doesn't do that you did before at your other department. It doesn't make them right or wrong, unless, of course, it's just plain wrong. So, for example, uh, maybe your department uh, that you were at, it builds line, right? It doesn't have a ton of cross-lays because people understand that cross-lays are very limiting. And so your department, it, it builds line. So if you, you pull off a line and you need, you need more sections, you just add it on and away you go. That's certainly, in my opinion, a good way to do it, but it's not the only way. And it doesn't make people with cross-lays, doesn't make them bad. It's just a different way of doing things. 
So, yeah, it is important to remember that that uh, your department isn't the fire service, even though it may be the entirety of the fire service to you. It's kind of like listening to people argue um, over equipment. Um, I have, and I'm sure you have too, I listen to people all the time argue about helmets and gloves, uh, hose, you know, well, no, that hose isn't worth a crap, our hose is, whatever, air packs, you know, I'm an MSA guy, I'm a Scott guy, Um, me, I'm a whatever you have, can you use it kind of person. Um, There are lots of things that people want to see in your department or in your old department or the one that you're fixing to go to. But the real question is, what can you do with what you've got? That's the key. While always fighting to make things better, what do you do until then? Do you make the best of it? Well, I think it's important that you do. Your fire department, no matter where you've been, no matter where you go or where you are, isn't the fire service. There are always different ways to do things. And part of being responsible is understanding that. Here's a question that, well, I'll read it. I've got a question. I'm wondering, when looking at this stuff from Turkey and and fires that I see every day, why do we plan anything? Aren't we really just reactionary? I guess what I'm trying to say is our department puts a fair bit of time into planning for, for things that may or may not happen. What if they spent more time teaching us to be more positive in our reactions? So, should we plan? Interesting. You know, in order to teach you to be more responsive responsive and be reactionary, you'd have to plan that out. Right? I mean, here's the thing. There are many different ways to look at planning. Some people, it's all they can think about. Yeah, we got a plan. You know, I got a plan. I got a plan for the plan to have a plan. Then there are people who don't plan at all. Whatever the day, whatever the day brings, I'll react to it. I submit that those who plan too much and those who plan too little or not at all are of the same ilk. Um, they simply don't have any interest in reality. I don't care what you plan for. It doesn't matter. Something will interrupt those plans. But here's something that's equally true in my estimation. If you don't plan at all, you are going to make mistakes in reacting to things because there's nothing to fall back on. Most of what we do is reaction, to be sure. A lot of times on a scene, you're reacting to things. But you're falling back on a reservoir of of material that you've gained over the years or that others have gained. The only way to disseminate that material among people to help them to be better at their job is to plan it out. Again, good planning doesn't mean planning all the time. And good reactions don't mean that you never plan. There's a combination there, and people don't like that. People want, well, let me back up. Some people want a definitive answer. The fire service isn't two plus three is five. It's just not. It, it's, there's a lot of gray area involved in the fire service. 
you know, you, you'll get people who will say, how many lines should I pull at the next fire? Well, I don't know. What, what kind of fire do you have? You know, is it a fire in a cardboard box? Is it a fire in a manufacturing facility that, that uh, manufactures cardboard boxes? You can't give the same answer for both, except to say you pull what you need. Now, if you went to a manufacturing facility that was 50% involved and you pulled one line and that was it, you're wrong. We know that. If you go to a small box that's burning and you pull five lines, you're probably wrong, unless it's something just out of the ordinary. The bottom line is, one size doesn't fit all. Never has. And it never will. I know people who live and die by planning, and typically they die at some point. Their career dies because, well, they run out of things to plan. Or they plan so much that it's simply you can't get through the mer- It's a mess. And then there's the people who don't plan at all. Zero planning. They don't plan to do anything. Um, I'm very sympathetic to those people, though, because I think that if you react well, you're going to get yourself in a good position most times. But there's that most. Um, in order to be great at something, I think you have to have enough planning. Uh, it's, it's, let's look at it this way. Uh, let's look at basketball. LeBron James, Michael Jordan, um, guys like that. Michael Jordan practiced a lot so he could get better. He looked at game film a lot so he could know who he was playing. That's how you go 6-0 and in championship games. Now, I'm not saying LeBron James doesn't plan, but he does have a more helter-skelter career, which is why he's not on the level of the GOAT, Michael Jordan. He may have more points, but Jordan played less games, and uh, let's face it, he played during a time when guys were getting hammered whenever they drove the lane, of which he did a lot early in his career. I'm not going to say that planning's the difference between Jordan and LeBron James, because it's not. They're both great players. But if I want to be the GOAT, or if I want to be excellent, then i got to do a little bit of both. Natural ability only gets you so far. People come to learn that when their knees start giving out or when they lose a step. It's not just in athletics. It's in life. You better be able to think when you can't do all the time. Here's a question that, you know, normally I wouldn't answer this, but yeah. Are aerial trucks worth it? It seems like we we have spent a lot of time trying to purchase a new aerial device, and I'm wondering, is it worth it? Well, yes, it is, if you're going to use it. Now, I'm not like a lot of people who think that you should spend an, uh, an eternity trying to design an aerial truck or an engine. I think that those things are things that can be done fairly quickly because you should be keeping up with what you need as the months and years go by. When you have the money to buy a new uh, piece of apparatus, frankly, it should be a straightforward process as far as specking it. It's really, to me, that's, that's how it's done. Also, I believe 
you have to use equipment. We, I know people. They will. I know departments. They'll buy equipment. And the first thing they tell people, don't use it. It's brand new. Okay. Interesting. Um, why'd you buy it? That's what it always comes back to me. If you buy something and you don't want it used, why'd you purchase it? And, and look, arrows are expensive. And to be blunt, and I've, I've seen this more recently than I have at any other time, there's some people who are just scared of using them. Some departments, they're frightened to use them. They're worried somebody will get hurt. Uh, to me, that kind of thinking is foreign. I, I can't wrap my head around it. Firefighting has never been a safe job. Also, if you're going to buy a truck, you better be using it. Taxpayers want that to be done, not to mention you should be doing it anyway. I would rather go with the, not are aerials worth it? I believe they are. I think my question would be, are there departments that are worthy of an aerial? You know, not, not are these aerials worth it, but are departments worth it? It's like a lot of things. You have to have courage in life. And I wonder if some departments are so risk-averse that they simply can't fathom putting someone up in the air. Maybe that's why they don't put anything out. Maybe that's why, as a friend of mine says, everyone goes home but the homeowner. Um, I, I don't know. But I, I am starting to reframe the question. I, I've never been around departments who were, were frightened of, of using their, their aerial devices. Um, I've always thought that it's kind of like breathing. Breathe in, you breathe out. I guess the question isn't whether aerials are worth it. But are departments worth buying an aerial for? Maybe in some cases that's the better question. But in my view, yes. Buy them. Use them. If you know how to use them, they save you money. They save lives. Which leads us to the last question. Jay, I'm wondering if uh, departments have gotten away from, hey, you know what? It's the victims that matter. What say you? I say yes. It's always the victims. It's always people who are trapped. I know that there, is, uh, there are people, and we've talked about this with the aerials, who are risk-averse, and therefore, you know, they want to make sure their own butt is safe. And I get that. Self-preservation is powerful. It's powerful in human beings. It's powerful in every animal on earth. Self-preservation is important. Firefighters, good ones anyway, they have to find a way... Not to shut it off, but maybe to bypass it for a moment so that they can do some analysis and figure out if it's within, their, within, the, within the realm of possibility to save another person. We've all, I guess we've all been watching the video from Turkey. 7.7 um, magnitude earthquake that pretty much liquefied the ground there. Um, and buildings collapsed. And, and let's face it, Turkey doesn't have the greatest infrastructure. Some of the buildings that fell down, I think, uh, were due to shoddy construction, if you just look at the videos. Nonetheless, there are people who have dove in to save people. Not just firefighters, but they're there. 
construction workers who were uh, driving heavy equipment between two very unstable buildings to try to make a rescue. All of that is, is a risk. It is. It's a huge risk. But it's a risk people take. And, and people like to think, no, people only take risks every once in a while. False. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been on an interstate? Have you? You're taking a lot of risks. Have you ever crossed a road? Mm. Here's the thing. We take risks every day, whether we like it or not. And part of life is understanding that, that there are risks that are worth taking. In my opinion, it's always worth taking for victims. And it's true. Some people are going to be hurt and some people are going to be killed, sadly. It's also a fact of life. Tens of thousands of people die daily. They do. Um, I would bet you most of those people don't think that they were involved in a risky situation, but they were. Driving a car can be very risky. Everything is risk. So, are the victims worth it? Yes. That'll do it today, for today. We'll be back again on Monday with another podcast. Until then, stay safe.